0: Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to the Hoopsville podcast for the month of April. We continue into the off season as we had hoped to do last season and continue to hope to do this season. There is plenty to talk about in Division III uh, basketball and in Division Three as a whole, even though we are into the postseason and because of coronavirus, um, not much going on at this point in time. But doesn't mean we don't have plenty to talk about, and I don't have a need to do something. <laughs> Considering I have nothing to do other than homeschool my children at this point in time. Of course, we are into the off season. That does mean podcasts. Video is not really going to be something we're going to go to in the off season. One, it gives us a break to kind of tinker with our studio and other things. But second of all, the house now a little bit busier. My wife actually set up in the studio for her home office. Uh, we got some time to kick her out so we could do this. But as a result, audio the rest of the way until we get back to November unless something extraordinary happens. Uh, you can always interact with us. You can tweet us at D3 Hoopsville or hashtag Hoopsville. You can always email us, hoopsville at d3sports.com. You can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Hoopsville, and Instagram. Instagram uh, is also at D3 Hoopsville, similar to our Twitter account. Of course, our homepage is d3hoopsville.com. should point out, since we're not doing video, I want to thank our partners at Blue Frame Technology, for their help um, throughout the season for the video side of things. And we will go back to them for video down the road as well. All right, so let's talk about what this show was going to be and what it is now. We had originally planned to talk to many of the coaches who decided to hang it up or, or shift jobs um, as we had a number of those coaches to talk about. But instead, we got pushed off thanks to a, a uh, email we got from Indianapolis um after lots of conversations to try and get individuals from the NCA to come on our show regarding how things shut down in march we got a chance to talk to Dan Dutcher our friend of the show and we will be talking to him extensively on this program about how things came to an end in March, but more importantly, take advantage of it and talk about everything Division Three, thus the title of the show, The State of D3. We haven't actually done a State of D3 with Dan in several years, so it's nice to get back at it, but there's certainly plenty to talk about. Uh, with that in mind, though, let's start off with some of the news that did has been making the rounds in Division Three basketball. You start with the coaching carousel. Uh, Dave Hickson Uh, The big news, of course, decided to make the sabbatical permanent. He has decided to retire. I chatted with him the morning that decision was to be made public. Uh, Certainly sad to see him go, but I certainly understand it. and I think coronavirus helped a little with that decision as well. Uh, 42 seasons at his alma mater, two national titles, third winningest coach in Division III history with 600 or 826 wins. I apologize. Had a 7.39 winning percentage. Joins Glenn Robinson and Steve Moore as the three winningest coaches all to retire this season. Glenn Robinson just days before the season began. Steve Moore, who was scheduled or planned to retire at the end of this season, uh, Glenn Robinson came in with 900, I think 67 wins. I think Steve Moore was around 867. And Dave Hickson at 826. Talk about locking off the top of the uh, win column in terms of history. The top three winningest coaches all retiring in the span of the last few months. Uh, congratulations to Dave Hickson. Um, the coaching search, the, the, the search for that job is wide open, I've been told. I know Aaron Toomey had a somewhat successful year as interim at 18-8, though missed the NCA tournament. Um, I... It's not going to be handed straight to Aaron Toomey. Everything we understand is this is an open search. You have to understand the alumni of of Amherst have gone on to become pretty good coaches. The coaching tree of Dave Hickson is pretty darn solid as well. You you kind of forget some of the greats out there who are coaching. I know Dave Hickson has been public in some published articles saying he'd love to see Toomey get a chance at keeping that job. But he also understands the college is going to make the input or the decision without his input. Uh, We'll see where that job goes. Uh, It certainly would be a highly sought-after one, I can imagine. Uh, So Dave Hickson's last time he was in the championship was in 2013 when they won it. The other coach in that game, Ken DeWeese at Mary Harden Baylor, retired as well. Uh, Started in 1998 at Mary Harden Baylor, 22 seasons, two ASC titles, national title game in 2013, and they were uh, a surprise. Remember, they weren't even ranked going into the tournament. Uh, I don't think they were getting votes, and they made it to the title game. Of course, in Atlanta... 400 wins while at UMHB. If you count overall with his time at McClellan Community College, he won 804 games. Seven-time ASC Division West Coach of the Year. Congrats to Ken DeWeese. Chatted with him right around the time he retired as well. We hope to have him on a future show. We mentioned this one um, late in the season. Pat Cunningham uh, out at Trinity, Texas. Of course, he had his thoughts on his quote-unquote retirement. We'll keep an eye on what Pat's doing down the road. Bob D'Alone at Denison has retired after 18 seasons. Chris Sullivan, the associate head coach, was promoted to head coach there at Denison. Dick Meter, uh, probably a coach we haven't talked to enough, retired from Maine Farmington after 44 seasons overall, 27 at UMF. He had 513 total wins, 353 of them coming at UMF. You talk to a lot of coaches, especially in New England, England, they talk about Dick Meter his retirement from Maine Farmington certainly shook up New England. Jim Mullins decided to retire at Ithaca after 353 wins. He'd been on staff since 1992. Sean Burton, an alum of 09, two-time All-American, Ithaca Hall of Famer, was promoted to head coach to take over for Mullins. Kerry Prather retired at Franklin. This was kind of uh, probably seen coming. He had been serving as coach, athletics director, and president. Most recently, he's now just president. He had been head coach for 37 years, 528 wins, 456 losses, but Prather now running Franklin from the highest office. Carol LaHaye on the women's side retired. The Randolph-Macon women's coach started at Randolph-Macon in 1992. 38 seasons, 647 wins, 418 victories in the ODAC alone. That's the most by any men's or women's coach in the conference. Sixth most wins entering the season among active coaches in Division III, the Maine Machias grad, I got to mention it from down East Maine, had also been the soccer and lacrosse coach there at Randolph Macon. In fact, her team finished, the lacrosse team that is, finished fifth in her first season at the helm. Some coaching changes. Eric Bridland, Bridgeland shook up Division Three and the West Coast. He's left Whitman. He has taken over for Redlands. Well, that's because Ducey, the head coach at Redlands, had retired. Uh, In a very quick move, just days later, Bridgeland was announced as the head coach at Redlands. We'll see if we can catch up with Coach Bridgeland down the road about all of those decisions. Coach Graham on the women's side left William Peace for Division II Lenore Ryan after just two seasons. They'd gone 4-19 to 23-5, had done a pretty good job, and then left for Division II. Jimmy Smith uh, continues to move around uh, in the coaching ranks. He's back in Texas. He's hired to replace Cunningham at Trinity, Texas. Uh, Remember, Jimmy Smith's alma mater is Mary Harden Baylor. That job obviously opened with Ken DeWeese's retirement, but he chose San Antonio is where Smith has landed. Uh, We'll keep an eye on how things go there at Trinity. Of course, Mary Harden Baylor was open, and they grabbed from the western part of the state. Cliff Carroll has left Sol Ross to replace DeWeese. Uh, By the way, Sol Ross immediately announced that their assistant would be the interim head coach. Uh, Some interesting thing with coaching changes, to be honest with you. This is going to be a bit of an open season Uh, I don't think we're going to see a lot of of openings um, and those decisions are going to have to be made by coaches who aren't necessarily going to be able to do campus visits and they're not going to be able to meet face to face with individuals. So I I don't think we're going to see as busy a carousel as we normally do see, uh, but I do think uh, we'll see some significant moves, obviously, and, and there'll be a ripple effect. I also think schools will go to the interim choice quicker than we normally would see just because there is so much up in the air. Also, I think some schools will not make coaching decisions and will hold on one more year. That will mean some coaches get a reprieve for a year or just delay the inevitable, or unfortunately for some programs, maybe put them in the hole for another year. Um, But it's just because of coronavirus, things are certainly up there. Speaking of that, closings of schools expected, uh, I think a lot of us expected schools to start closing uh, this year, but we're seeing more than we expected, or maybe some that were surprises because of coronavirus. McMurray announcing out of the SLIAC that they are done, and then the northern Vermont campuses are in limbo. The president has asked the trustees to adopt his plan to close down those two campuses, but the decision will probably come the beginning of next week, late April, as the decision was pushed by the trustees to the next week, so the governor and the legislature could at least maybe come up with a plan. I'm not sure if there is a plan there or not. Uh, That would take two schools from the NAC, which had been growing. As you probably know, we've been topic of conversation on this show quite a bit. The NAC will lose two, though they'll gain three next year. It'll put a little bit of a a bump in the road on on getting to divisions. But I think uh, they will eventually find um, their solutions there. But we'll keep an eye on that. We'll see if that actually comes to fruition if those two Northern Vermont schools end up truly shutting down. All right, so now that gets us to the content of this podcast, The State of Division Three. We had an extensive chat with Dan Dutcher, who's a vice president for Division Three and has been for a long time. Topics are plenty. We talked about how the winter seasons came to a close and how the decision was made and such, and how the decision came at that time also to shut down the spring season championships. Not the season in entirety, but the championships. Uh, also talked about how coronavirus, COVID-19, is impacting things beyond what was decided back in March. Also, we'll ask him about if Atlanta will get a redo since we were headed to Atlanta with the men's championship and obviously have not. Also, how challenging are the days and weeks uh, leading up to the cancellations for those championships? Just how crazy was it? How COVID is affecting other aspects of Division Three in the NCAA according the, uh, uh, as well as the budget shortfall, I should say. Uh, short-term and long-term effects of that shortfall of about 7.5 million dollars this year school closures and conference changes we talked about those closures those will affect conferences as well there's probably um a number of closures still ahead anytime between now and in the next year and how that will impact decisions made in indianapolis and by division three membership you also talked to him about name image likeness Uh, the legislation is coming together about nil especially at the division three level we talked to him about how that's shaping up and regional realignment and expansion a topic we've talked about on this show we will discuss with him the latest there. Plus, we threw at him some wildcard questions. So to get things started, we talk about how things came to an end in March. Now joining us on the Blue Frame Technology Hoopsville Hotline, it's the vice president of Division Three. It is Dan Dutcher coming to us from his home in Indiana. Sir, thanks so much for taking the time to join us.
1: Good afternoon, Dave. Thanks for a chance to visit
0: yeah I, I you know obviously we love visiting we love chatting with you it certainly could be in better times have you ever had a, a scenario in your career um that has been so uh i guess up in the air in terms of where everything's headed
1: no uh nothing that uh comes even close to this um it's just an amazing uh a challenging time period for everyone um uh, Intercollegiate athletics for sure, higher education, and then for society as a whole. So no, I I, I, I will just say this, David, this is the new normal. I, I miss the old normal.
0: Yes, hopefully the new new new, new normal will will be a little bit less than this, but I agree. I kind of miss the old normal. and And damn it, it happened suddenly. this this wasn't a slow walk in any way, shape, or form even from the NCAA's point of view it was one day saying we're go- going forward all things are fine 12 hours later showing a crack in the armor and within 2 days everything's off Th- this was not a-,
1: a slow build um you know there were a lot of uh, a lot of factors in play um i think from a health and safety perspective um our staff you know led by dr brian hayline our chief medical officer and, uh, and his uh, medical advisory team of experts from all around the country, they were tracking on this for a period of time. We had a internal operations team related to COVID that had been in place for, for a bit of time. Um, but, a, but the way things transpired publicly um, especially related to our treatments um, came down pretty pretty quickly.
0: Yeah, it certainly did. Let's let's back up and we'll go all the way back to these win, winter championships and we'll work our way forward from there. Obviously, in Division three world basketball world, we were we're knocking on the door the second round of the tournament with games literally 24 or less hours uh, away. Obviously, uh, other championships in terms of wrestling and, and swimming and diving were uh, some student athletes in place for championships to start the next day in some of those sports and essentially the rug pulled out right underneath everybody was division three scenario. And I, and I mean the situation they were in the fact that student athletes were in place, that events could take place technically in front of closed gyms, which decisions had already been made in that sense, or at least families only invited. Was that part of the overall decision of the NCAA? You know, maybe we cancel one thing, but we allow one thing to continue. Was there ever those conversations or was it, D3 not really considered and it was all everything and everything Kaya kind of scenario?
1: You know, because the D3 championships had started um, first, uh, if you will, um, some of the issues that we had to deal with in the administration of those championships were issues of first impression. I mean, health and safety was always, throughout the whole discussion, um, our top priority. That, that was the ultimate uh, decision-making factor. Some of the issues that came up early on um helped to i think focus attention on the related health and safety issues that inevitably we had to encounter or would encounter. I think as things evolve um the appreciation for the uh, the magnitude of the of the crisis that was looming um the appreciation for how um how easily the the virus spread. Um, the appreciation for the challenges that were in front of us and, and, and what defined a safe environment, it became more and more difficult to identify what was a safe environment for our student-athletes and our spectators. That seemed to evolve. It evolved fairly quickly. It evolved, uh, though I think, first within the Division Three context because we, we were playing our games first. Sure. I'm
0: curious, was there ever a thought that And and I'm not not second-guessing this. I'm just curious, was there ever a thought saying, hey, we have this in progress, 10 more days, and essentially we're done. We can lock things down and isolate. Was there a thought of doing that? And and I got a follow up based on whatever you might say.
1: It was all I think all the decisions were defined by an appreci- uh the, the evolving appreciation for the magnitude of the problem and, and the nature of the of the uh, of the illness and, uh, and and the challenges with um, with dealing with it. So um, I think. There were, as things went on, more and more options were rejected because they didn't meet our health and safety criteria. But it, that 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 took some time to evolve, obviously, and you know the, the thinking uh, of the experts was absolutely paramount uh, ultimately in our decision making process. But 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 the the situation was so fluid um, that that it. it, it did end up evolving in that way. Ultimately, health and safety decision was always paramount. And, and that pretty clearly did not allow us to pursue any kind of isolation kind of uh, setting uh, eventually, As you know, we could play some games with outsiders early on. And at the time, that met um, the health and safety criteria that um, that, 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 that we were using. But uh, eventually, that, that also had to be rejected.
0: Many of us have felt it was the NBA scenario where Rudy Gobert tested positive. That kind of felt like a light bulb moment. Oh, wait, we're not just talking about the spectators that we may be endangering because spectators may hand it to spectators, but athletes may be sick as well. We're not even thinking about that and they could hand it on to other athletes. Was that basically the, the straw that broke the camel's back?
1: I don't know if that's. A fair statement that the NBA decision was what uh, what triggered the NCAA decision. We were always involved in a very intense, very uh, detailed um, decision-making process of our own. It was a parallel process. But clearly, when you're looking at the possibility of participants or spectators... Um, becoming ill, um, ultimately that puts athletics and contests into a different kind of perspective.
0: Yeah, I I didn't mean to say that the NBA's decision forced the NCAA's hand, because the NCAA was already making decisions before the NBA. What I mean to say is the idea that, oh, wait, student-athletes may have this and we're not, you know they could be handing it off to themselves. As much as we isolate these games, we're not isolating the problem. That's where I'm wondering if that's where the, the line of demarcation was.
1: Yeah, I mean, clearly, clearly, a participant to participant spread was something that that that, that, that ended up being a factor. As you know, initially we were looking at spectators only, right? Uh, without spectators, participants only, but but eventually it became clear that that in and of itself uh, that wasn't going to be sufficient to deal with the problem that we were facing.
0: I'm curious what what steps um you know you got teams who are practicing obviously teams were about to travel one team who was told to wait because the decision was intimate or and they didn't know which way it would go it was there was there a feeling that we got to make this decision sooner sooner and there was it, we got to make it now was there ever a point where we're like guys we're past the point we got to make this decision because we've got too many things in place that we've got to turn around
1: you know, Dave. Looking back um, on that time frame, um, it seems like it was just a never-ending <laughs> succession of critical decisions that needed to be made right sure. away. So, yeah. I just have a hard time saying there was one sort of zero hour that sure. we that 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 we had to meet. It, it 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 just it just transpired in a way that, folks felt like they had to make the decisions that they had to make when they had to make them ultimately that canceling the championships was clearly the the, the last and the most significant decision, but there mm-hmm. were just a series of decisions being made over that over that time span.
0: Yeah, sure. Yeah, and I don't want to allude that for some reason we you guys had gone past the deadline. I just more curiosity on how it all progressed. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, yeah, and, and another another fact to note there too is that remember some of these decisions were not NCAA decisions, so uh, there were public health officials, mm-hmm. there were there were institutional, the were, they were college and conference officials that were making decisions that were their decisions to make and very appropriately so, but they obviously affected the decisions that we had to make as associations. As well,
0: before we jump off of this, I'm I'm curious on two other fronts. One was obviously in the opening weekend, Johns Hopkins makes the decision. They say based on cases in Maryland, when all facts seem to see based on cases at a yeshiva or or related to yeshiva, that they were going to shut down their gym for their games. And then Amherst follows up shortly before their first game that weekend to do the same. And then obviously Amherst makes the same decision for the next weekend. And and schools eventually followed suit. But I, I got this sense from talking to some individuals that that Amherst and Johns Hopkins felt like they were kind of in no man's land when they made these decisions that the NCAA, as they've told me, was relying on the schools for safety and security decisions of their own since they're hosting. Makes sense. The schools were also turning to the NCAA going, we need guidance. Was Is there something we can learn out of this that maybe there needs to be different protocols in place that we don't either just lump it on the school, but the NCAA can provide that guidance? Or is there this confusion of, no one wants to take liability for what is a tough decision. And I'm not knocking that liability. I'm just curious if that's something that's been considered.
1: You know, going back to your initial comment when we started the interview, uh, we were facing situations collectively. I'm talking the national office, our, our local hosts, our, 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 um, uh, at all levels, we we're facing decisions that we had never really faced before. Uh, and so uh, yeah, I've always felt like it would be a heck of a case study for a for right. business school to, to write about how some of these situations transpired, how they were handled, what we learned from that. I think, um, God forbid, we have to have to go through this again. But I mm-hmm. do think we all collectively learned um, from these situations, and uh, and we need to study them further to, to see what more we can we can learn. But at all levels, we were facing situations that, uh, to my knowledge, we had really faced before. Yeah.
0: Yeah, certainly makes sense. Uh, more curiosity, as I said. The only thing that was interesting and certainly significant about all this was the men were heading to Atlanta for the second time. This was going to be a, a, a you know group championships of D one, two, and three in Atlanta, as we had done in twenty thirteen. That you know is now off the table clearly because we didn't play them. And and I and I'm kind of curious looking forward. Is there going to be an effort to make up for that now lost experience? Uh, I will point out to anybody who's listening at home, 2021 uh, next year is scheduled to be in Indianapolis. And we know there's a, a basketball uh, facility nearby where the women's championships have been played in the past. Uh, basically nearby being in the same downtown uh, area, not too far from, from the uh, where the D1 championships will take place. 2022, New Orleans, it's next door. Um, 2023 is Houston. There isn't a facility nearby, but the women are already going to be doing this in Dallas that year. 2024, Phoenix, not sure there's a facility nearby. San Antonio, 2025, you, you could discuss whether there's a facility nearby, and then we repeat in 2026. Those are the championships we know ahead. Um, 2026 in Indianapolis. Is there discussion? Is Will there be discussion of trying to make up this lost
1: opportunity? I wouldn't be surprised if there are um, discussions about trying to revisit um, this opportunity. And remember why we why we were doing this uh, and, and what we learned from the first time we did this for the men and the women. And that is an opportunity to focus on Division Three men's and women's basketball at the NCAA's. Uh, what were the NCAA's uh, brightest lights are shining mm-hmm. at our at, at our premier, our marquee uh, championships. It's just an incredible opportunity for us as a division. Um, that the quality of the competition, the experience that the student-athletes share, the opportunity to tell the d 3 story uh, to folks who may not be familiar with it, those are just incredible opportunities for us. So I'm not sure um, specifically at this point when and if it would happen again. I certainly think the reasons why... Um, We agreed to do it in Atlanta and then in 2023 for the women. Those reasons, I think, still remain valid. And um, I'm pretty confident that within the existing committee structures, the basketball committees, the championships committees, et cetera, um, that um, looking for opportunities to maybe uh, accomplish what we unfortunately couldn't accomplish this year in Atlanta will be uh, be, uh, reviewed.
0: I would think next year, 2021, if everything is normal, and I'm making a big assumption at this point, that that makes the most logical sense since we're in the headquarter, we're in the city of the headquarters of the NCAA.
1: Yeah, I can't, I can't comment on that other than I'm sure um, all the future sites uh, will be, you know, will be pursued for for possible sure. opportunities.
0: Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, obviously, putting you on the spot there a little bit. Um, let's quickly transition over to the spring championships because what I found fascinating and and a little bit gut wrenching at the same time. Was not only was a decision made on the winter championships in March, but the decision was to pull all the spring championships. Now, at that time, some conferences and some schools had decided to 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 stop their spring sports as well. Not even a wait and see approach. Not even a hey, we're going to take two weeks, which some other schools and conferences were doing. What was the decision behind canceling everything from late May through June? Um, because that one, I. And again, it's curiosity. That one definitely seemed abrupt and, and rather um, shocking.
1: It's a great question. You know, looking, knowing now uh, what we know, mm-hmm. it, it, was, it was the right decision to make. Um, at the time, the reason that decision was made really comes down to what was canceled. And what was canceled were national championships. Again, NCAA. Sure didn't cancel regular season or conference competition, They she canceled national championships. And national championships means something very special. I know I'm I'm preaching to the choir here, (laughs) but that, I think, goes to the reason why the decision was made to cancel the championships. When you saw significant portions of the membership canceling their spring seasons or, or suspending them indefinitely... What that meant was if we did conduct a championship, it wouldn't be a truly national championship because a significant portion of NCAA membership uh, would not be represented because they can't do competition in that sport. So ultimately we sponsor national championships and we wouldn't really be sponsoring national championships if significant portions of the membership wouldn't be participating.
0: That's that's certainly fascinating. Is it, and I hate to, it feels like I'm putting you on the spot a little bit more, too. Here is that almost a, an element of schools making decisions that forced the NCAA's hand more than maybe the NCAA didn't want to go in that direction. They wanted a wait and see approach, but they felt that certain conferences had kind of forced the issue or, or schools, whichever.
1: You know it was it was frankly it was at the moment, so um you know again, some many of those difficult decisions in that time frame were reacting to what the reality was, so regardless of whether you know would we wish that we had been able to sponsor spring championships with uh you know yes, would we wish that the schools didn't. Uh, find it necessary to cancel their spring uh, seasons, sure. But the reality was they had, and the reality was, and for good reason. Uh, and so ultimately, I think the decision was made, and I think it was the right decision. We, but we had, we would, I, I think, again, that was the Board of Governors' decision. They were responding uh-huh. to to the realities at the time.
0: Yeah. No. Again, it, curiosity. We obviously know talking about this now in in, in mid April that that the decision makes sense because at this point we would be on the doorstep of conference championships with national tournaments starting in May. So uh, we obviously realized the timing has made sense. It just, again, it was a, not only was it uh, shocking to hear that the the winter championships were pulled out, even though we kind of saw the writing on the wall to hear them also simultaneously. Oh, oh, by the way, spring championships in May, we've already cut those out too. It's like, Whoa. Um, it, It seemed like a big decision and it's a huge financial one, Dan, both winter and spring championships. Obviously, the the D one championship tournament in basketball being the biggest financial uh, behemoth that affects the NCAA, I cannot imagine that these decisions were easy.
1: Oh no, no, they were uh, they were very they were very challenging. Um, but you know, ultimately. You now the health and safety concerns were paramount. No. Those were the main concerns that, that really trumped everything else. And again, in hindsight, I think that those were the right decisions.
0: Yeah, no. Again, but I know the financial income or impact is going to be there, and we'll talk about that coming up yeah. in, in a little bit.
1: I, I, I mean, i I'll, I'll. You talk about how difficult it was. Um, you know, Dave, they, there, there, the only been four days in my life when I cried in the office, and that was wonderful. I mean, people were devastated and for good reason because of what we lost for our student athletes by having to make the decision, but it had to be made.
0: As Dan said, it had to be made amazing how quickly everything went from normal March postseason to completely shut down just what about 10 days away from crowning a women's champ and conceivably we could have crowned a men's champ if they had maybe tweaked with the schedule in Fort Wayne. Obviously, Atlanta was looking more and more doubtful, um, but there we are Uh, our conversation about how the ncaa and division three academic year came to a sudden close was fascinating and i appreciated dan's insight on that coming up we continue to talk about how COVID 19 is impacting things moving forward what the future could look like what we may be talking about down the road and of course how it impacted the division three budget how they were ready for this to some extent and how it may impact budgets down the road you're listening to the Hoopsville Podcast, The State of Division Three with our guest, Vice President for Division Three, Dan Dutcher, back with more after this.
2: We've got more schools than Division I, more fans than Division II, and more upsets than March Madness.
3: I was All-State, won a state championship, a high school All-American, and played college and pro ball. I played because I love the game. I grind to be the best. I sweat because I put in work. I'm strong because I believe. When I want to bring it before game time, I come to the house that college basketball built, the CBE. No matter your skill, take it to another level. Elevate your game right here at the College Basketball Experience at Sprint Center.
0: Welcome back to the April podcast of Hoopsville. It's the state of Division Three with our guest, Vice President for Division Three, Dan Dutcher. I am Dave McHugh. Don't forget, you can find us on social media. While this may not be live, we certainly love interacting with you. We're on Twitter at D3Hoopsville and using the hashtag Hoopsville. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash Hoopsville. We're on Instagram as well at D3Hoopsville there. Also, the hashtag Hoopsville is, is popular there. And, of course, you can find us on email if you want to send us thoughts. Yeah, our email is Hoopsville at d 3 Sports. All right, now let's continue our conversation with Dan Dutcher, and we go right back into the conversation of COVID-19 and how that coronavirus is impacting things moving forward. School closures and enrollment on campuses are going to have a, a, a huge effect. And, of course, the Division three budget as well. And one thing he threw in there is how we may be talking about how schools may be getting waivers on sports minimums, maybe conferences on waivers, on AQs. All of this could be affected between now and even a year or two from now. We continue our conversation. Once now. again, joining us on the Blue Frame hot, hot... See, I stumbled again. Good thing I'm editing this. Once again, joining us on the Blue Frame Technology So, Hotline, it is Dan Dutcher, vice president for Division Three, friend of the show, friend of mine. I appreciate him coming on. Dan, um, uh, before we leave the COVID conversation, um, that 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 the, the impact is still being felt <laughs> regarding COVID. And not only championships obviously pulled out and, and schools having to go to a different scenario and such, I'm sure there's other impacts that we're not familiar with. What else is the NCAA dealing with when it comes to what is a rather fascinating health emergency in this world?
1: Um, you know, the biggest challenge, Dave, I would say right now is what the future looks like. Um, what will the future look like for our colleges in, uh, regarding um, their enrollment? What will the future look like for their sports sponsorship? What will their future look like basically this fall for their academic enterprise? Um, Will students be coming back on campus this fall? Those are huge issues, and I think, from my perspective, they're going to be driven by the realities of, uh, of the health and safety equation. Um, but then also, um, they're going to be decided from a higher education perspective. Um, those are decisions that need to be made at the presidential level. Uh, and ultimately, those are decisions that will affect us in intercollegiate athletics, no question. Um, I think we're, we're looking at schools that right now are facing significant budget challenges uh, based upon um, the, the, the havoc that, that, that COVID um, ha, has caused um, schools that are trying to determine to what extent they they may have to close their doors because their financial um, no longer works. Um, the institutions that um, may be able to stay open but going to need to uh, cut programs across the board, including athletics programs, to help um, make ends meet. Um, institutions that are you know this this fall will they be able to bring students back on campus? So are they going to? To to need this uh, extend this um this uh, distance learning model. Um these are really huge challenges for higher education and they clearly are gonna have uh, an effect on our uh, members in Division III.
0: Yeah, um, I I can't imagine what some schools are dealing with. Uh we've already saw seen some who have closed, like McMurray. We're hearing of others as you and I are talking. I don't I don't want to report it by the time this airs, it'll probably be well known in New England. Of a couple more closures and and there's some even talk that we may not see this fully impacted until a year from now when schools have gone a full year um kind of like the ncaa which we'll talk about in a bit uh bills are already paid things are already taken care of by this point it's really the next year that will be more impactful is is there a side where indianapolis is 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 trying to help or can be there for some of these schools or is this one of those where you guys just you watch from afar like the rest of us and just hope for the best.
1: No, we we're uh we're trying to provide as much support and resources as we can to our membership. Um I think mm-hmm. as I we've had discussions with folks at the institutional conference level Including some really helpful uh, conversations lately with our with our conference commissioners, I think we all agree the only way to solve these very challenging issues is to is to begin with dialogue. So, as much information as we can share, many different perspectives as we can share and, and benefit from, um, we're, we're all we're all better off. Um, It does seem like the timetable um, on these decisions is going to um, focus on the summer. Um, We're hearing that a lot of schools have pushed back by about a month the traditional commitment date for incoming freshman classes from May 1 to June 1, and then their traditional budget planning from June 1 then to July 1. So it seems like this summer, um, a lot of uh, difficult decisions will will have to be made um, regarding these sort of existential issues at the campus and conference levels. And I have no, I have no doubt there will be some ripple effect uh, on some of these issues regarding uh, the NCAA. We need to be in a position to help support our schools. And when some of these decisions are made, might waivers be uh, available for example, um, sports sponsorship, um, mm-hmm. automatic qualification with conference composition there'll, there'll be no question there'll be some some uh, ripple effects. We want to be in a position to support our schools as, as best as we possibly can when when they are knocking on our door and asking for that assistance.
0: Yeah, you, you certainly present a, a lot of interesting points there. Um, one thing I think is interesting. Is on the D one level where they talk about all the money lost, and we'll talk about how that impacted Division three shortly. But you know, a lot of the schools, actually all the schools of Division one, get a piece of the pie, and they rely on that piece to run their athletics department. Now, obviously, we don't do that in Division three. The schools have to run their own athletics department, which is why we see so many different variations of it. Thus, I was curious about waivers, and I know you don't have any answers necessarily. But how how could a decision like that? You know, how would a decision like waivers? get through the system, as it were, what would be the process to, to finally come to an end? And let's just say, yeah, we're going we're gonna to give a, a hiatus on, way, uh, on the number of, of programs you have or, or whatever... For two years, what would the process entail? Where would that walk itself through before an answer is given?
1: You know, we've already played out some of the waiver um, process um, through our administrative committee. That's the leadership of our management council, president's council on there. They're empowered to act on behalf of the councils um, in between council meetings to address uh, exigent kind of circumstances. So I'll give you an example related to schools that um, have the sports sponsorship requirements for the spring. um, The administrative committee already approved a blanket waiver that sports that you would would have sponsored uh, in the spring, um, you'll be, uh, you know, before, not so that's an example. Um, a more traditional waiver process would go through our waiver committee, uh, uh, that, that's our membership committee. They, they have responsibility for dealing with uh, with uh, membership waivers, um, maybe periodically by conference call and sometimes in person. So. There is a more um, tailored uh, procedure, with which um, of course will be considered when it comes to issues related to championships. Obviously, the championships committee um, will be the more way to go. So we do have some tools in the toolbox when we need. Uh, we have uh, emergency situations like with our administrative committee or our management council subcommittee on legislative relief.
0: Hey Dan, I'm also curious when it comes to. Um, membership to some degree. Obviously, there's helping members, but there's members closing already. And D3 had been going through an influx of increased membership, still maybe on the horizon for all we know and all these changes. But now we're also seeing a bit of a decrease. Not that the division's in trouble by any stretch of the imagination, but there's a lot of decisions that have been based on the size of what the, the division currently is, like regional expansion and such. If there's a number of closures, how will that impact some of the things that Division Three has put in place?
1: You know, it's a great question because um, the number of schools, um, for example, affects how we distribute our annual conference grants. Um, depending upon the number of schools in your conference, that helps to determine um, some of the uh, funding allocations for, for our conferences, um, for our grant programs. Um, the changes in sports sponsorship clearly come into play because ultimately that helps to uh, affect um, automatic um, that helps affect bracket sizes, um, and it, you know it, that that's very significant too. So um, there will be some uh, some ramifications um, for rules uh, um, drop. Uh, really AQ, you know, AQ can affect um, conferences' eligibility uh, for automatic qualification depending on how many uh, schools sponsor that sport. So, th- those are examples of ways in which some of this could play out, Dave. Yeah,
0: yeah, certainly. We don't have all the answers now as this continues to play out, but things will certainly keep on the horizon. Um, it we were talking about money and division three. I think one of the headlines that surprised many people, um, uh, but I guess maybe if we had been paying attention, it wouldn't have surprised us, was the shortfall that Division Three took um, with the cancellation of the of the March Madness, essentially, and everything else. Uh, the Division, which was expecting, and please correct me if I'm wrong, a, a budget of about $33 million, um, didn't get all of that at all, uh, ended up short $7.6 but that doesn't really tell the whole story. Can you kind of kind of just explained to everybody um, how much money were we budgeted, how much money did the division get, and where does a shortfall actually sit based on things like the reserve?
1: Yeah. Um, let me see if I can tr- make this uh, somewhat simplified. I've never <laughs> been the guy with numbers, but I think it all starts with where the industry revenue comes from. And about, the, uh, about give or take, indirectly about uh, 85 to 90% of our revenue comes from our broadcast agreement. Um, with CBS and Turner for the Division One men's basketball tournament. Our fiscal year basically runs September 1 through August 31. And so in any given year, our anticipated revenue is based upon the amount of revenue we're going to receive during that year, which includes the, the broadcast payments for the tournament for that particular year. Uh, and so this Current year that included the revenue that we had anticipated from the tournament that ultimately didn't take place, we were looking at somewhere. You're right, at somewhere around $32, $33 dollars of, of revenue um, for that tournament. Um, We had received some of those uh, contract payments early on, but ultimately about uh, 70% of those contract payments we will not have received we're not going to receive because they were uh, scheduled to take place after the tournament um, took place or, or, or after it began. Um, we had some expenses that we had already incurred, obviously champion, championships in the fall, um, some of our spring, uh, some of our winter championships, as you noted, we had you know, uh, pro- progressed through parts of the basketball tournaments and, and had folks ready to go uh, on site with wrestling, just as examples. So we had incurred um, some of those expenses already. Um and uh basically we had only ultimately were only gonna receive about ten million dollars of the of the revenue that we had anticipated. Um and we had a, a, you know had uh, incurred um uh expenses somewhere in the in the neighborhood of about eighteen million dollars. So the money we spent um, didn't match the money that ultimately that we're going to take in over the course of the year, so we, we we're going to run somewhere around a seven and a half eight million dollar deficit. Where do you go with that money? Well, Division Three, um, for pretty much uh, the last twenty years plus, has had a reserve policy in place. The amount of money has changed periodically over the years, but but for right now, our revenue policy. A uh, reserve policy was that we would keep an amount equal to 50 percent of the anticipated revenue. That would be our minimum reserve. And then we also um, carried some fin- catastrophic financial insurance to the tune of about $5 million beyond that. So, the, you know, basically, um, the amount of money that we had uh, in reserve will um, be able to cover um, the basically eight million billion, give or take, um, deficit that we're going to run this year. Um, because we uh, you know we've been carrying uh, somewhere, you know, excess of about twenty million dollars overall in our bank account. Um so the money's there to, to pay for the deficit. But um moving forward into subsequent years, we we clearly want to rebuild that minimum reserve to be sure that um if we end up, God forbid, it, in another situation like this, we have enough money to to, to cover us. Right now, we're, we're, we're okay, as we, but as we project out through the remainder of the existing broadcast agreement with CBS and Turner, which runs through 2324, okay. the agreement kicks in. But through the current agreement, which runs through 2324, um, if we do nothing and continue to spend all the money that we've anticipated spending, um, we're going to dip below our minimum reserve balance, especially in the last two years of that contract. And we clearly don't want to do that. So we're charging both uh, on our championships uh, side when championships is where we spend about 75% of our budget and on the non-championships programmatic side um, we're, we're, we're challenging folks. Uh, we're charging folks to do their due diligence and to come back with recommendations to the Strategic Planning and Finance Committee in June um, for, for potential uh, reductions that will help to uh, help to, to uh, close that gap and uh, through the remainder of the, the current broadcast agreement over the next three four years. Um, I'm sure we can get there. Um, we had already identified, for example, on the championship side. Border identified certain initiatives as supplemental initiatives over the last couple of years. So a couple of examples of that would be uh, providing local ground uh, transportation on individual sports. Um, Basically, uh, another example would be to try to assure that you don't face face a conference opponent during the first round of a a championship. Uh, There's some local ground transportation for team sports. There are increased travel party sizes. We had implemented all those over the last few years, recognizing and, 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 and uh, flagging those as items of first review if um, if uh, budget um, uh, issues arose, budget issues have arisen. So we've charged the championships committee with looking at the supplemental spend, and prioritizing, um, which ones they, they feel are more important than others moving forward. Likewise, in the non-championship side, we've looked at some programs and services, and, and, and we're doing those for potential uh, reductions as well. And then finally, I'd say on the national office side, um, this doesn't directly affect the B3 budget, um, but the national office has, uh, has flagged, uh, identified about 175 million dollars of, of savings out of our about 460 million dollar operating budget that will be implemented over the next uh, 18 months. And so, from an operation standpoint, we're clearly uh, tightening our belts as well. It, it's just it's necessary. It's a reality right now.
0: So there's no job openings at the NZA headquarters at this point in time, is what I'm
1: hearing. Uh, yeah, unfortunately we're under a hiring freeze for the foreseeable uh, future and uh, uh our executive leadership even took a you know took a budget cut to try to ensure mm-hmm. that we don't have to lay off any folks and because that's obviously as Mark Emery said our, our our people are our strength and that's that that's uh, our last resort.
3: I'm going to just
0: scratch off the idea of working in Indy for now. Um let me quickly recap. So a $33 million budget was scheduled for the entire year. You'd only spent about $18.5 at the point where things got shut down and obviously no expenditures on championships after that point. Um, the money that came in was, was just shy of $11 million. There's where our shortfall is. It's not to the 33. It's to the 18.5 or whatever that was spent. Um, right. and, and then you go dip into the reserve to cover that seven and a half, some odd million. dollars. And the reserve was sitting at around $20 million or so. And we're not hard numbers on this yet. Um, And that's kind of where why that's where the shortfall came. But more importantly, Dan, and this is where I think we got to stress, this doesn't necessarily impact next year if everything were to be normal, because you're not looking to make up that money next year in terms of the seven and a half million dollars because you've already done it. You might, as you said, have to cut some small things here and there, but the bigger things may not have to be or the general sense nothing's going to be cut.
1: So there's there's no not necessarily an immediate effect if we don't want there to be, but we I don't think so. We are anticipating our full revenue allocation mm-hmm. next year related to um, a tournament take place. Um, and our, our revenue allocation um, next year is something that we fully anticipate that be about uh, almost 34 million dollars. The reason why we won't implement next year, it's likely we won't implement every program that we have planned to uh, conduct and implement next year, is because the long term effects would uh, put us below our minimum reserve amount during the last two years Mm -hmm. of the contract. So we've got a fiduciary responsibility to the plan through 23-24, um, but we have the luxury of deciding um, what the programs are um, that will continue, what the programs are that we may need to reduce, as opposed to having no ability to to uh, to conduct that conversation. Uh,
0: so obviously, there, there may be some dipping into the pocket to at least help that reserve, but we're not talking about having to dip in the pocket in the tune of $7.5 million dollars. Mm-hmm which would obviously have a huge impact on championships. How much did 2012 or 2013 or 14 whatever that range was when D3 went through some significant budget tightening while Division yeah. 1 and 2 Division 2 Division 1 and 2 did not um uh, how much did has that impacted how things have been handled, done, adjusted whatever moving forward to what we're now experiencing?
1: Um I think the wage had the greatest effect, uh, I really think it two ways. Number one, that experience, which primarily was driven by uh, 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 travel expenses that exceeded expectations. That experience caused us to work with our accounting and finance staff to sharpen our collective pencil on on budgeting and expenses. So to that extent, I think that's proven very helpful for us. It also caused us to to really look at um, and prioritize how uh, proposals for new championship initiatives uh, the process related to that and the timetable related to that, that was also something that we benefited from. And then ultimately, this idea that we need a very significant uh, reserve fund, uh, that also helped us to ensure that the reserve policy uh, makes sense that, it, that it's significant. And that's, again, something now that we're, we're directly benefiting from, from a planning standpoint, uh, you know,
0: Certainly interesting. Before we, we get off the topic of budget, is there anything else that people need to appreciate for, for either the D3 budget or, or things down the road um, before, before we uh, let you all sharpen the pencils again?
1: Well, only, only to the extent that the championship and non-championship. Programs probably become uh, arguably more important than ever um, because you're recognizing that the budgetary crunch that institutions and conferences are going to experience at the local level, um, our ability to help provide these programs and services um, is probably going to fill even a bigger gap than it has in the past. So, um, you know, that value of uh, membership, we you know, we estimate. Uh, the value for a member institution is somewhere around $80,000 a year, yet our dues are somewhere around the $2,000 range. Um, The the return for investment for NCAA membership, I think, is probably arguably better than ever.
0: Yes, that investment is certainly better than ever. You get a lot of bang for your buck in Division III, considering it's $2,000 for your uh, dues every year as a school. And for those who participate in the NCAA tournament, you get it almost immediately back, even those who don't participate in a lot of tournaments, get that investment back in many ways. Appreciate Dan's insight on the budget. And, and you know, where there's a lot of talk at the Division I level. I just read an article before taping this from the Washington Post uh, and a little bit of insight from the USA Today about where Division I had done, with, uh, done things with its money, I should say. Uh, they had had an extensive um, reserve that they built up, and then out of fear... Maybe, probably not really thinking this through, but a fear of, of lawsuits, especially regarding name, image, and likeness, um, caused this, the, the division to uh, essentially blow up its reserve, which caught uh, many by surprise. It was, the Washington Post had an extensive article about it. I, I had interest reading it. But it shows you just the differences. One, the NCA is always grouped as Division 1 decisions when we all know in Division 3 that Division 3 has its own say. But at the same time, how Division 3 fostered its reserves for moments like these or other occasions where it would be needed. It saved us this time. Moving forward, there won't be a large amount of budget problems there may need to be some trimming. Dan alluded to the one about the conferences can't play each other in the opening weekend and a lot of sports that can be avoided. But in football, for example, it's almost impossible, especially out of Texas. We'll have to see if that aspect does get affected. If if they have to ratchet back the the test run on that because they need to save a little bit of money here and there. I am guessing completely. I would hope they don't. I think the, the premise is that they all like it but it does add a cost especially on the football side so we'll see how that is impacted. When we come back we'll continue to talk about the state of Division 3 including name image likeness NIL what's being crafted for Division 3 what it may look like what likely will be allowed and the timeline still ahead. That's more here on the Hoopsville podcast the state of
3: Division 3. We are the coaches of women's basketball. We're leaders and teachers, dreamers and winners. We are professionals who conduct ourselves ethically and with integrity. We place the education, safety, and well-being of the athletes we coach above all else and teach them the fundamental values they need to succeed in life. We are coaches united for the good of our game and those who play it. We are the WBCA. This is why we love sports. It's in the way they play, free from the pressures and all the money talk. Playing for simply the love of the game, where everyone has a shot at their definition of success on and off the field. This is what we love about sports and what we can still love about college sports. Football has taught me a lot throughout my life.
0: Dot com. Welcome back to the Hoopsville Podcast for the month of April. I'm Dave McHugh. Hope you're enjoying the show. We're talking with Vice President of Division Three, Dan Dutcher, in an extensive conversation. We call the State of Division Three. Now to take on the topic of name, image, likeness. It's getting plenty of attention at the D1 level, obviously, but even D3 has to look at this type of thing and see how it plays at this division, where things stand now, how legislation is being crafted, literally as we speak. And the timeline still ahead, Dan Dutcher goes into detail for us and I found the conversation somewhat interesting. Again joining us today, a uh, long conversation on the state of Division 3 on the Blue Frame Technology Hoops on Hotline it is Dan Dutcher, Vice President for Division 3 calling us from his home and I guess a uh, uh, home office. Per se now, since he hasn't been in the Indianapolis office in a while, Dan Dutcher joining us here from Indiana. Indiana, uh, Dan, as always, appreciate the the time and the amount of time you give us, which is always helpful, I think, to the larger good in Division Three. Um, I, I think when you and I expected to talk to each other, obviously everything we've just talked about was not on the plate. Um, I know I reached out in January on the on the off chance that maybe a conversation about it, name, image, likeness would be worth having. Uh, I'd love to jump into that a little bit here because right now we're kind of at a, a precipice maybe, or at least um, um, a, a turning point in the system, because at this point, D3 is going to start coming out, along with the NCAA, with some some ideas, as it were, for NIL. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, Dave, that, that is correct. So I would say we're coming to the close of the second phase of uh, these discussions, the first major phase for Division One, I'd say the first phase overall for the association uh, was in October when the uh, our federal and state legislative working group, our NAL subcommittee, if you will, um, reported to the Board of Governors um, that the NCAA changed it basic uh, legislative standards when it comes to the ability of student-athletes to, to monetize based on their name, image, and likeness, that was approved by the Board of Governors in October, and they charged each of the divisions with, with moving forward in that, in that regard. Um, that basically culminated uh, at um, the convention in January when we sort of laid out the uh, the, the discussion that the Board of Governors and the subcommittee Committee had had regarding this issue, conducted roundtable discussions with about 1,100 delegates, um, and got some great feedback on on different ways we could go as a division. The second round of the discussions, which I think is culminating now over the next uh, couple of weeks, uh, related to committee review. So based on the feedback we received um, from uh, the delegates at the convention, where should we go potentially as a division um, with um, possible uh, changes to, to our NIL? Um, mm-hmm. In particular, we had two committees charged with sort of leading this review. Um, you know, one is our student athlete advisory committee, because ultimately this is really an issue about uh, student athletes and, and their ability uh, to uh, sort of uh, enhance their their overall educational and, and uh, uh, well-being experience. Our Interpretations of Legislation Committee was the other lead committee um, on this issue. And again, this is a very complicated issue from a legislative and interpretive standpoint, so they, it made sense to give them responsibilities to deal with this. Shaq talked about it at the convention in January. They'll talk about it again uh, this weekend as, as you and I speak. Um, the Interpretations of Legislation Committee um, did some great work on this over two days in late February. That legislative model for Division Three that came out of uh, the ILC meeting then um, goes to our management council and president's council for review uh, over the next couple weeks, assuming that that feedback is positive, then we would begin the third round of uh, review, which is broader, hopefully, dis- distribution and discussion and feedback from the membership ultimately culminating in um, the summer meetings of the council, which is when we need to come away with a, a, an actual legislative uh, p- packet of proposals for convention uh, consideration and vote by the membership in January.
0: We should point out, uh, by the time this interview is, gonna, is set to, bup- to publish, the Division Three National SAC group will have already had their virtual meetings. The Division Three Management Council is wrapping up. Their meetings this month, and we have ahead of us in about a week's time, the Division Three Presidents' Council meeting, and that's why we say this is all kind of coming to a head a bit on what Division Three should do. And we should point out also, Dan, that whatever Division One chooses is it doesn't have an impact necessarily on Division Three because, again, like in everything else, every division is has got its own differences and its own nuances. Division Three has to really come up with nil that makes sense for itself.
1: You know, it's a good point. Ultimately, um, the legislative packages that will be voted on are going to be functions of the divisional governance structures. Uh, Do they have to be exactly alike? No, they they don't. Um, um, Will they be exactly alike? I suspect they won't be. But to the extent that they're consistent um, in Mm -hmm. a way that makes sense, Um, Is that helpful to our student-athletes? Is it helpful to the association? I I think it it would be. Um, But ultimately, there's divisional autonomy in terms of how the legislation is developed and how it's adopted. But I think what I anticipate coming from the the Board of Governors uh, and that subcommittee that I I mentioned earlier, their final report to the BOG will take place um, next week, uh, two weeks as well, at the same time the President's Council meets. I think there'll be a final report um, to the board of governors that identifies some principles that are ver- that will be very appropriate for all three. Divisions and from what I've seen, Dave, um, in the in the what's being considered on the legislative front in the other two divisions, um, those models are, are 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 fairly consistent with the division three model as well. There there may be some areas for difference, but I think in general, the three divisions are are, are going uh, in a direction that uh, that will be compatible.
0: Yeah, uh, I, I should say that we we've noticed over the years too that division one and division two certainly respect a lot of what division three has already in place. Um, and when it comes to names, name, image, likeness, there's going to have to be some similarities. Um, what do you expect to come out of these April meetings um, in terms of what people in the division in the NCAA in general will have to be considering or will consider or will not like or whatever?
1: I think what we're talking about here in all three divisions is an opportunity for student athletes to not only become active in the public, space, but also to include their status as a student athlete in, in that context. And that's that's really significant from the D3 perspective. We've permitted D three student athletes to be involved in, in, in public things, um, but not to include their student athlete status. So that would be fundamentally new. So being involved as a as a student athlete um in your ability to teach private lessons. Um, to do research projects, to do a YouTube blog, Um, those are just examples of of, of places to to look to where student involvement would be permitted under some of the legislative models of vaccine across all three divisions. And that's, that's significant. The other piece to note is these would be activities. These would be activities that would be created by or sponsored by member institutions. So to some extent, I look at what is being proposed conceptually akin to um, independent third-party employment by a student athlete. It's not a job that institutions would be setting for a ministry. It's akin to that's going off in the community and, and trying to find uh, independent uh, employment and getting the remuneration of that employment. I don't know if you
0: have answers to these, Dan, but I have a couple of what ifs. I'd love to get your thoughts on. Again, we're in a point where we don't know what the answers ultimately are going to be, but a right, couple of things that right. popped up. Because I, I certainly, I, I like the idea of the NIL, and I certainly see in some gross examples outside of Division three, where students' images are used to sell things for that institution, and the student doesn't get anything for that. I, I, this makes a lot of sense to me. But on the Division three level, I see a, a few. Possible challenges. So it's just some what ifs. You let me know if it's even something being considered, or if you think uh, it could be a problem. For example, okay. um, Obviously, departments on their websites will use images of student athletes in recaps, previews, promotions. um, Obviously, bios for the student athletes as well. Whatever the case may be, they're a good way of telling the story. Could that be a problem in, in an NIL scenario where a student might want to take more ownership over that 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 image, as it were?
1: My understanding of the legal sphere is that your participation in athletic activities is not something to which you inherently have name, image, and likeness rights. And so I don't foresee a change in that. And I also think… As I understand it, um, as, a, as a, uh, a part of the certification for your eligibility to participate every year, that's, that's something that you sign off on mm. as a student athlete. So I don't believe that there is an inherent public name image like this right um, for uh, participation and and publicity related to those kinds of athletic activities.
0: Let me take it to the next step, and I hinted at the promotional side. Obviously, at D1, you know, they plaster their best quarterback or best basketball player all over the place to sell tickets, to sell sponsorships, whatever. And again, student-athlete doesn't get necessarily anything in, in return. How would this impact in, in either a department or an individual's team's abilities to promote, whether it's schedule magnets for all craziness or Twitter, Instagram, or whatever, as they're trying to promote the school or promote ticket sales or promote sponsorships?
1: Yeah, I, again, and I think consistent with uh, hopefully the, the point I tried to make in, mm-hmm. in the last piece, what we're talking about here is nothing to do with institutional competition or the promotion of institutional events. What we're talking about with NIL are student-athletes promoting their individual activities and status of student-athletes in promotions that are independent from the institution.
0: When I and I appreciate that. I had a feeling I might be crossing over with that one, but I was just curious more on the promotional side. Um yeah. as we talked about in the introduction, you had a a, a chat uh, for inside the NCAA, which we have a link for on on this broadcast page. Um and if you didn't get it, go to the D3hoops.com slash hoops broadcast page. You'll find the link for that. You can listen to this. Um there's a there's a conversation you have about uh, you know, it can't come down to, re- you know, can't be a recruiting side of things. And, and obviously, as you mentioned, it's a job. I did wonder though, let's just say a student athlete's got a deal with Under Armour, but the school has a deal with Nike. How is, how is that going to play out? Are we going to, you know, are we going to see scenarios like the, what was it the 84 Olympics where the dream team had flags over their logos because they were sponsored by somebody else? Or is that something that's going to be part of that? Conversation. If you come to this school, we're a Nike school. That Under Armour thing may not be able to gel because you're gonna be wearing Nike uniforms.
1: It's a great question. I don't have an answer for that. I do know that that has been cited as a topic that needs, you know, additional, additional review. Oh, and give you a similar example. What about uh, promotional activities for? Uh, businesses that some folks may find objectionable, like uh, a student-athlete promotion for an alcohol business Mm -hmm. or a gambling business or a tobacco company. Um, I think those are all examples of issues that are going to need some further discussion and review, so – so, like we said, it's a very complicated issue. I think the principle is, uh, of moving forward with, with student-athlete NIL is good, but that's not—that doesn't mean that there won't be some some complicated uh, issues that we'll have to work our way through.
0: Yeah, certainly the divisional side too. Division three may have less complicated issues as much as division one might have more complicated. Uh, also, curious: what if a, a guy's doing a video blog, and we've seen some great ones out there, especially this last few years. But they're using the school's facilities like he's doing a basketball demonstration. It's a school facility or it's a basketball practice or a game. It's a school's game would, would that. You know, but he's doing it on YouTube and thus he's monetizing that for himself, which is fine. Would there, right. be an, would there be a challenge to the fact he's using the school's facilities, kind of this quid pro quo idea?
1: Yeah, it, it absolutely is an issue that needs further review. This may be one of those issues where um, the divisions may take a little bit of a different tact. But I can tell you that in the discussions I've heard, it, it, it's very much a concern because on the one hand, the extent to which institutions are involved in any way undermines the, this principle that this is, these are independent activities that uh, in which the institution is not involved, and these don't uh, these aren't a substitute for institutional pay for play. Um, but on the other hand, um, there is a school of thought that says, hey, if I your institutional facilities, or I access your institutional trademarks, the same way that any other student can mm-hmm. on campus, or the same way that uh, another third party might be able to. Um, why should I be treated differently? Mm-hmm. Why shouldn't I be able to take advantage of that? You know, in Division Three, one of our Bedmark philosophical tendencies, treat student-athletes like I treat other students. Mm-hmm. So that particular issue, Dave, is another one of those, I'd say, uh, I wouldn't call it hot button, but it's, it's, it's an issue that needs more review, um, and, and I think um, there, that one's going to be a little big challenge to work our way through um, in, in a way that makes everyone happy.
0: Obviously, a lot of this will also come to a head in January when the next convention is, is held and decisions have to be made and votes have to take place, et cetera, et cetera. But what is, What was the deadline? Remind everybody the deadline technically that was put in place to have this kind of NIL buttoned up and ready for execution?
1: Well, we've made a commitment as an association to, to finishing uh, our decision-making process on this by January of, of 2021. And, and the practical date is what the January convention uh, for the NCAA. And I think that's really important because um, – We, as you know, we have a lot of folks, including governmental entities, um, that have entered this space. Um, We've assured folks that that we are going to do our due diligence when it comes to uh, addressing this issue. Uh, It's the right thing to do for our student-athletes. It's the right thing to do for our association. We've also told folks this is our timetable, and so that's a timetable that we we have to meet. Uh, there's no question in my mind. And if and if we don't, um, it, it, it's going to be, I think, ultimately to the detriment of our of our student athletes and our membership. So it's that January 2021 20, uh, convention at the latest where we have to bring this issue closure.
0: And, and conceivably, that means thus August one uh, or August 31 or whatever, September, whatever kind of timing for those. To be then put into place, because that's usually what happens is it's within about six months that those anything that's voted on the convention is then put in place.
1: I I think that's what we'd be looking at. We'd be looking at the 21-22 academic year. And and to be frank with you, um, even all the time period between now and then. Um, it's going to be a heavy lift for us to be prepared to, to answer all the questions that we mm-hmm. need to answer and to establish, you know, what we need to establish to implement. Um, but again, that that's something that we got to do. So we'll, we'll need that. We'll need that additional effective uh, time before we implement.
0: Well, and with all good legislation, sometimes it goes in place and then needs some tweaking uh, down the road. But curious, you say 20, uh, 2021 for January the convention to have this all said and done. And while we don't want to drag it out, how much? Has the covid and and everything else that is kind of you know thrown monkey wrenches into everything thrown a monkey wrench into how this is all progressing, and d- is that deadline going to be realistically be able to be hit?
1: Yeah, I think the deadline is uh, is firm. Um, it really comes down to how the association uh, does its business in the meantime. So give an example, um we have uh, prepared for in-person discussions and feedback opportunities at our regional rule seminars that were going to take place Mm -hmm. in Columbus, Ohio, and Anaheim in May and June, uh, just from the D3 perspective. For example, uh, we were going to talk about this in person uh, with NACTA and and the COSIDA at their meeting Mm -hmm. uh, that had been planned for, for Las Vegas in June. Um, now it's been canceled. Um, we're going to substitute our in-person regional rules seminar for some kind of online opportunity. Um, so it's changed the way we'll accomplish what we wanted to accomplish, but we still have to accomplish what we need to accomplish. Okay. We just need to be more creative in, in getting that done.
0: You're, you're going to have to dress up in a suit and tie from the waist up, whatever <laughs> you want to do from the waist down, and just do it on online instead. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Certainly appreciate Dan's lightheartedness there. Name, image, likeness will be a topic we're talking about for the next year or so because legislation is due in January. We'll know a lot more of the details after it comes out of this month of meetings in the NCAA um, and how it's crafted. We also have a couple of wildcard questions still ahead on this show for Dan, and, and we dive back into this NIL briefly on that topic as well. Coming up, we talk regional realignment and expansion what has been decided, what we will see. Of course, uh, we will also throw those wild card questions at Dan. You're listening to the April podcast, the state of Division Three, with more next.
2: For the love of the game, but for those of us who are Division Three student-athletes, it's more than that, a lot more.
3: Sure, the game is important. But as we work so hard to build both mind and body, it's more about team.
2: That is why NCAA Division III teamed up with Special Olympics. And in giving the gift of sport to those for whom it seemed an impossible dream, we are working to make this a better world.
3: Help us keep that dream alive.
2: You can make a difference.
3: It starts right when you hit the court. You imagine your finest moment the game-winning shot that gets you to the dance, a monster dunk or no-look pass, and cutting down the net. Sports lets us dream of our own success and prepare us for our finest moments on and off the court. We are the coaches of women's basketball. We are leaders and teachers, dreamers and winners. We are professionals who conduct ourselves ethically and with integrity. We place the education, safety, and well-being of the athletes we coach above all else and teach them the fundamental values they need to succeed in life. We are coaches united for the good of our game and those who play it. We are the WBCA.
0: Welcome back to the Hoopsville podcast for the month of April. Once again, you can always find us on Twitter at D3 Hoopsville using the hashtag Hoopsville. Instagram has the same following at D3 Hoopsville and hashtag Hoopsville. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Hoopsville. Of course, our show page is d3hoopsville.com. You can also email us, hoopsville at d3sports.com. That's where you can find us. I'm your host, Dave McHugh, and we are ready to wrap up our conversation with Vice President of Division Three Dan Dutcher. In this segment, we talk regional realignment and expansion. Remember, we have touched on this several times during the show, but we had an extensive conversation back in February with Brad Bankston, the ODAC commissioner and former management council member as well. We have a link to that interview on our show page. We talked a lot about how things had gotten approved, gotten through things, especially at the convention in January and got to the management council's um, uh, table yet again. The Management Council has met. By the time this podcast is out, it has met. Now, we talked to Dan Dutcher before those meetings took place. Kind of got sandwiched uh, to the meetings in between either aspects of this interview. At the end of this chat with Dan, we will discuss what has come out of the Management Council to the best of our knowledge. We also, in this segment, throw Dan a couple of wildcard questions that have a lot to do with everything we talked about today. So here's Dan in our final segment here of the state. Of Division three, and once again, joining us on the Blue Frame Technology Hoopsville Hotline, it is Dan Dutcher, vice president for Division Three. Uh, Dan, uh, let's wrap things up with the other topic that I think also would have been getting a lot of attention at this point if not for uh, COVID. Uh, it would have been regional realignment and expansion. We mentioned earlier the SACS uh, meeting over uh, by the time this is released, the SAC, the National SACS already met, and the Management Council is meeting or wrapping up their meetings, and the Management Council is expected for the next step of this uh again it's coming in 21 the academic year and they're the ones who now basically have to stamp it last time i got here they sent it back to the championship committee for some massaging um it's expected i think from everything i've heard to probably pass here what's the latest from your vantage point on on what i jokingly call realignment but really it's expansion
1: yeah, it, that process, um, as you know and mentioned, it's it's been a long one. It's been deliberate. but I think uh, we're we're better off for it um, because of the the multiple uh, efforts to to try to get it right. Um, I, in particular, you know, I think we owe a big bit of gratitude to our D3 commissioners who really took a le- leadership role along with our championships committee uh, in trying to uh, trying to address this issue. Working with our our various sports committees. Ultimately, that proposal is moving forward. Um, I think at the heart of it is an opportunity to try to be sure that the the regions are aligned correctly. Another key piece of it is to expand the size of some of the sports committees to be sure that they have more uh, better representation um, uh, uh, within the sports committees in 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 these new regions. Um, so it's going to bring more people into the process, which ultimately I think will be a good thing for our various uh, sports committees and our championships. Um, but it's it, it's hard to, to try to get it right. I think we're I think we're we're getting there, if not there. Um, and I think you know we're on track to to get that proposal, I believe, uh, considered uh, this coming uh, this coming week, in a, in a form that uh, you know allow us to, to implement it, um, not during the immediate coming academic year, but the academic year after after that.
0: And as I understand it, management councils are basically about where this heads. It, it, it won't jump to presidents. It won't necessarily go to legislative, in terms of January convention. Management council approves this it goes back to championships committee to to execute and as you, as we both said again for basically august september of 2021
1: that's right, and um, President's Council can always take up any issue that it's interested in that the Management Council has discussed. But this isn't an issue that we're flagging for President's Council review unless something uh, unexpectedly blows up. Yeah, to be true. frank with you, with the Management Council, so this is much more of an operational kind of uh, kind of issue that um, that the Management Council would uh, whatever have a say on typically.
0: It's certainly been a long, drawn-out process. The last time you saw it, and you've kind of hinted at this, it, it, it was something you thought looked good?
1: Yeah, I, I think the process has been deliberate, but I think the, the results are going to show and that uh, I, I think the proposal, that, as I understand it, it's a, it, it's a really nice spot.
0: It adds costs because you're going to have more committee members and, and, and other elements of it. And again, we were talking about budgets, but there's no real concern about that?
1: You know, uh, when we talked earlier about asking the Champions Committee to uh, prioritize uh, among their proposed new expenses and to look at those supplemental expenses, um, clearly this would be included in that discussion. But the, the last uh, discussions that I've... been privy to, for example, the Strategic Planning and Finance Committee, is that this is viewed as a more sort of fundamental, longer-term kind of expense. And so I think like all expenses, this will be reviewed, but I don't anticipate necessarily that this is one that that we'll be backing off on at this point.
0: It's not like regional realignment is a topic that happens all the time, though that said, I feel like this is at least the third time um in the last 15 years or so that we've discussed it there were there's different versions there's the one that actually went into place last time when there was some realignment there's been versions where we've where we've shifted some conferences there's been smaller versions what i'm trying to get at is this one that's always going to ebb and flow and change maybe every five to some odd years because the division is constantly at one point growing but constantly changing in terms of sports as well
1: That's not a bad theory. uh, In that, you know, our membership ebbs and flows. um, uh, Our sports sponsorship ebbs and flows a little bit. Um, So it's probably something that if you're not periodically reviewing it, then you're probably not uh, not uh, doing it. Uh, But having said that, I think this is the most uh, the deepest dive we've done on this in 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 many many years. And so I wouldn't expect uh, any. Future reviews to, to be this extensive or, or this necessary? To be frank,
0: a bit of a wild card question regarding kind of the status of things and kind of touching on everything we've talked about. Is there going? Do you think a few years ago there was talk about curtailing some games in, in in most of the sports? Football was excluded. Some others were excluded, but you know, basketball cut out a couple of games in the regular season. Baseball and softball cut out about I think it was ten. Do you think that gets a fresh look? in what is now a very different financial and and
1: whatever world we're living in? You know, I think it's a great question. Um, and I would tell you, at least from some of the informal um, conversations I've had with folks over the last couple of weeks, I think the answer is probably um, mm-hmm. because of the budget ramifications. Mm-hmm. So the uh, again, folks, are institutions are looking at a variety of ways in which to address um, uh, the budget issues that they're facing. Um, if it's possible to reduce um, contests and save uh, money, but at the same time, uh, continue, you know, a significant, robust uh, competitive experience for student athletes, I think that's something that schools are going to look at. So, I'll, Dave, I'll, I'll say I'll be surprised if um, that issue doesn't receive some attention over the next couple of years.
0: same idea, wildcard, championship selections for sites. Um, The process for the next four years, which is literally six years (laughs) or two years down the road. So thus in the next uh, whatever time period um, was wrapped up before all this came to a head. Um, But you're asking communities for four year commitments or at least some time frame in those four year commitments. And, And I know in some sports they struggled with that. And some communities couldn't give you an answer on stuff. Now I think it's even dicier. Does that whole process get re-examined? Does it even get delayed slightly because of what has happened? And we need to wait a little bit longer to make sure everybody's in the same spot they were in when they applied to be a host site.
1: Yeah, I can't answer that question with uh, any authority. I would say conceptually um, the the new reality is so different um, that uh, I wouldn't can be surprised if to some extent um, some of the some of the commitments that were made um, some of the, the processes um, are subject to uh, again by, uh, by all parties uh, subject to some additional discussion um, clearly, um, things uh, that we're going through now are going to have some longer-term ramifications, mm-hmm. and some of that might, uh, you know, might might relate to um, the ability of, of institutions or, or, or communities to, to host uh, events. Um, but I don't know. As I uh, sit here and speak with you now, I don't know of any specific um, activities along those lines.
0: I'm going to mash two other ideas into one here in soccer. At least the division one level was discussing uh, the idea of going to a kind of, I guess, baseball type idea in the sense that you play some in the fall and you play some in the spring uh, or tennis is another example of that. Um, and, And there's been discussion of whether that could could be something they could execute so they could mimic almost other models out there that weren't on the college level. There's also been discussion because of all this COVID and not knowing what's coming with the fall of moving stuff like football to the spring. And could you move all the fall sports to the spring? For example, the logistics in my head make my head hurt, but how many of these conversations are now changing? Is soccer really going to keep going down that idea is it now out because, as you point out, the financial side of it is is too difficult? Or could we see all these sports in the fall take a jump to the spring, absolutely go crazy in the spring in a lot of ways, but then change how we look at sports in general and where
1: they're played? It's fascinating, isn't it? Um, yeah. <laughs> all, all I can say from a D3 perspective, because I think some of the conversations about moving football to um, so the spring have uh, originated in Division One, Yes. And, and football, because of the revenue role plays in Division One, um, is a little bit of a different context there. I would say that in Division Three, you know, we like all, all sports are, are created equal. We like to do all sports as consistently as we can. Um, you mentioned the logistical challenges, and I think that's absolutely right. How you do it? Um, I can't begin to to think about how you do it, but I do know that if it happens, um, you have to recognize the effect that that could have on on winter and spring sports, too. Um, Are there enough fields? Are there enough trainers? Is there there enough tape in the locker room? I mean, there's so many Are there enough locker rooms? Yeah, exactly, right? So I, I don't know how it would happen. Um, I do know if it does happen uh, in Division Three, the conversation is going to have uh, to—it's going to have to make sense within a Division Three uh, uh, ethic, and I'm not sure—I'm um, not sure it, it's doable. To be frank with you, but if it does happen, it's going to be the other way that makes for Division Three.
0: My final wild card would be uh, Division Three membership, in the sense that Division Two schools could decide we can't keep spending the money we are D three looks like a better model in a fiscally more responsible way or any NAIAs uh, who are, you know, have their other reasons uh, again, scholarships and such that, that play a role in their budgets. Look at division three. And currently division three has a, mani- uh, a a maximum of four new applicants per year. Could that be revisited? And we see another re- uh, influx of schools coming into the, the division three that, that while we have closings on top of that, that really makes things different and and forces a division
1: to look at whether they need to
0: allow more in every year than 4
1: i think it's too early to say yes but i do think that um given the current climate i wouldn't be surprised if folks start looking at our membership requirements and our membership process um in a, in a bit of a different light um and so you know, we currently have a, a pretty robust um, new member or reclassification process. Now, at the, as you know, at the convention past January, we reduced a year um, yes. from that process. Uh, and so, again, we haven't even implemented that new timetable yet. That's going to be implemented uh, uh, for the next academic year. Um, and given the sort of basic challenges that institutions are looking at across the country, is that uh, that something that could prompt further discussions regarding our membership, its structure, um, its requirements to be a member, the requirements to change divisional membership? You know, that, those are association-wide issues uh, that you know that the board of governors ultimately would uh, would, would want to have uh, have some input on, because association-wide issues are, are their responsibility. But I do think those are the kinds of issues that that I've heard folks are asking. I don't think I have an answer, but I know some of those questions are beginning to be asked.
0: It certainly is going to be an interesting set of uh, years ahead of us, uh, <laughs> to say the least. And just when we think we're, we're, we're understanding the, the road we're on, we're going to, I'm sure, run into potholes and turns and, and, and whatever that, that are going to change the conversation. Yet again, I, I really appreciate all the time you've given us. I'm curious if there's anything that we didn't touch on that you think is important for membership, student athletes, coaches, fans or whomever to understand going on.
1: You know, Dave, I'm just sure one last uh, item with you. It's it's an initiative that's being led, will be led by our Student Athlete Advisory Committee. It focuses on mental health. And uh, next month, uh, PSAC is going to roll out a mental health initiative. Mm It's focused on this idea of of breaking the stigma associated with mental health. There's probably never been a time in which uh, mental health is more important. Not that it's never always really important, but I think the mental health issues that have come with uh with COVID have probably helped to reemphasize how important mental health is for our student athletes and, and for all of us. And so that's something that I encourage folks to 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 uh to pay attention. Uh there'll be some great resources that'll be uh, that'll be identified as part of this initiative. Um, It's something that we're all challenged with right now, given the environment that we're living in. And so it's something I'm really proud that our our student athletes have taken a leadership role on.
0: No, Well said. Uh, The SACS has always taken leadership roles on some terrific uh, topics, whether it's LGBT um, and and other challenges or whatever and mental health. I applaud them. That was already, as you said, on the table uh, before all this hit and now certainly even more important than it already was. Um, Absolutely. Before we let you go, as you know, we always leave the guests the final word. Any final thoughts for those tuned in?
1: Uh, you know, it's a, it's, uh, it's a really challenging time um, for everyone. Um, I, we will get through this. Um, it won't be easy, but I, I know there's light at the end of the tunnel. And, again, I'd just like to remind folks, um, you know, D3 is the largest division in terms of members. We have no student-athletes that's not by accident. It's because the D3 model works. And I'm confident that the D3 model is going to continue to work um, post, post, post-COVID. Um, it, it, remains, uh, it remains something that's unique and something special. And uh, I, I'm really fortunate to be a part of it. And I thank you, Dave, and your colleagues for, for uh, keeping it um, out there on the radar screen. Well,
0: thank you, Dan. Uh, you gave us a ton of time today, and I really appreciate that. I'll say that so that the audience can hear it. It means a lot. When I get five minutes of your time to get as much as we got today, it means even more. I know there was a lot of topics, and I and, uh, appreciate that nonetheless. Take care of yourself. Take, uh, take care of your family as well. Obviously, I hope nothing but the best for the family and everybody who works for Division Three in the home office, and uh, thanks for your time, and enjoy what is going to be a very different spring and summer.
1: Thanks so much, Dave. Same to you and yours. Be, be safe. It was good to catch up.
0: Once again, a tremendous thank you to Dan Dutcher, Vice President for Division Three, for joining us from his home in Indiana. Um, we appreciate the time he gave us to discuss all of everything we talked about in the state of Division III. Um, let's quickly touch on regional expansion. Uh, I'm personally all for this, including sports, uh, that I know it's been a little more contentious and like football. I'm not overly worried about it, but we do have some updates from the management council, which as we mentioned, as this has come out has met and they have approved the money and logistics for the expansion and realignment, including additional racks size of the national committees for every sport. And of course, every sport will be a little bit different. You're going to get a max of 10 regions. For sports like basketball, soccer and others, sports like football are going to go from four to six, and there's other changes that we'll certainly talk about down the road. This does go into effect again for 21, 22. So 21, 22 academic years. So basically, the sports starting in August 21 will see this expansion. So we've got about 16 months to see how this all finally comes together. Part of the package includes a five-year re-evaluation setup. So in other words, they'll make sure the region, sports, schools, and conferences are aligned as best as possible. Every five years, they'll take a look at that. You'll notice in our chat with Dan, we talked about that, how Dan thought it was the right idea. He contacted us later and said, hey, actually, it's in the package that every five years they will reevaluate things and make sure everything is the way they want it and maybe need to be re-realigned again. Uh, also includes, and I think this goes back to what Brad Bankston told us in February, I believe there's details in this also, to help the championship committee determine what new schools or conferences or whatever should go into what regions. Obviously, there's, we can't expect five years of no changes. Um, and so there could be changes that need to be taking place in different sports overall. And I believe there will be a, a framework in place for the championship committee to make those decisions as best as possible. But again, after five years, they can reevaluate as well. Uh, there's also going to be some additional input requested from um, from some or all the sports committees, uh, but I get a sense this is dotting the I's, crossing the T's type of thing. Um, there's no more steps as I'm under, as I'm aware, this is now in place. It's not something necessarily the president's council is expected to take up and the president's council is expected to meet at the end of April for two days of meetings. It hasn't been flagged for their attention though. They, they could certainly bring it up and discuss it if they wanted to, though it is not likely from what I've gathered. And there's no legislative need in January either. So essentially, this is done unless something significant changes in the next couple of weeks. And I just don't expect to see that. Uh, Still looking for a copy of what those regions may look like. I suspect we'll get one soon. Uh, but eventually we're all going to see this. And again, we've got 16 months to get kind of wrap our minds around how each sport will be impacted and how 10 regions will look. And even the names of those 10 regions, we haven't even discussed what the names might be. One other note, too, I know the Management Council has asked, I've been told, has asked each sports committee to report back about how they're using the ranking criteria, what we all consider the primary and secondary criteria, how they're using it, how it's being implemented. Um, I, I have a feeling the management council is not only doing its due it's, it's smart work here of overseeing things, but I think they want to make sure that some committees are using the criteria properly. In other words, they're not putting a, a ranking as to which one's more powerful than the other. They're not leaning on one more than the other. Um, I think that is happening in some sports, and I'm not going to go on the record saying which ones I feel those are, but I think there has been some inconsistencies, and clearly the management council wants to at least get feedback from the sports committees on how it's all being utilized. Remember, a couple of years ago, we we got word that the .03 difference in an SOS to two games kind of mani- manipulation that the men's basketball was doing was something they shouldn't be doing for whatever reason. We we really never got to the bottom of the change there, but that stuff does happen. And so, um, this is probably part and parcel of that kind of stuff. Once again, thanks to Dan. Really appreciate it. he will spend a lot of time with us, gave us plenty of information. We really appreciate him coming on the show to give us a state of division three. We have said in the past, we want to do an annual state of division three and then kind of fizzled out. Sometimes there just isn't a lot to talk about. Um, but certainly had plenty to talk about this time around, um, future shows, just a heads up. We're going to try and keep doing our podcast throughout the summer It got derailed last year. Right now, we got plenty of time. We'll see what we can do in the offseason here. But future shows, we hope to talk to some of the coaches who decided to hang up the whistle. Nothing confirmed, but we certainly hope to talk to Dave Hickson, Ken DeWeese, maybe even uh, Carol LaHaye, uh, Coach Meter, maybe some others. Also, some coaches who have shifted jobs. I'd like to reach out to them and get a sense of the decisions and, and the challenge this year. Because remember, the challenge of taking a new job in this coronavirus world is very different plus other topics that may capture our attention. There's an overview of officiating Division Three, something we tried to talk about in the regular season but didn't get it put together. We hope to learn more about what that overview is and what the ultimate goal of the overview is. Uh, the new Mac, uh, well, it's really the uh, commissioner's group that's doing this, but the head of the new MAC is part of the head of that. And we'll see if we can reach out and get more information. Of course, how COVID continues to affect things moving forward, how the fall sports may be impacted, how winter sports could be impacted if things continue. There's a lot of questions still up in the air, and we'll try and follow that and inform you as best as we can. Uh, of course, we're less than six months from practices scheduled to start and less than seven months from the season starting. It may seem like a long time from now, and because of COVID, it may end up being a long time, but there's a lot to take care of between now and then. Of course, you can always follow us for the latest news if we hear it. You can follow our friends uh, at D3Hoops, at D3Hoops, or on Facebook at facebook.com slash D3Hoops. Follow us on Twitter at D3Hoopsville, or use the hashtag Hoopsville. You can also follow us Uh, on facebook at facebook.com slash hoopsville instagrams like twitter at d3 hoopsville and hashtag hoopsville um of course you can email us hoopsville at d3sports.com once again thanks to dan dutcher vice president of division three for joining us here on this extended show appreciate you tuning in as well we hope you stay safe our best to you your families and loved ones and to all the student athletes coaches administrators and others involved in the ncaa division three sports last week before we aired this it was a d3 week a celebration of yd3 it was fun to see the stories even if the games weren't being played and we tip our hat to everybody in division three I am Dave McHugh. Thanks for tuning in. I want to thank our our supporters as it were, not only at D3 Hoops, Women's Basketball Coaches Association, National Association of Basketball Coaches, Blue Frame Technology as well, but also want to thank those of you who've donated to our show. That money ended up coming in handy to, to pay the mortgages, to be blunt. Um, not how we expected to be paying for it, but that's how, or using that money, but that's how it's being used. And I want to thank all of you for supporting the show as well. We can hope to continue our podcast once a month all the way until we're starting the season back up in November. Thanks again, everybody, for tuning into this State of Division Three, a Hoopsville podcast special. We appreciate it, and we look forward to talking to you again in May. Have a good one. The broadcast of Hoopsville is a property of DMAC Productions and David McHugh and is intended solely for the private, personal use of our audience. Any other broadcast, rebroadcast, or other use of the descriptions and accounts of this show without the express written consent of Hoopsville and DMAC Productions is strictly prohibited.